0: The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. The sugars are here, speaking straight into your ears.
1: I'm Steve Allman.
0: I'm Cheryl Strade. This is
1: Dear Sugars.
0: Oh dear song, won't you please?
1: Share some little sweetness.
0: Every day. oh in sugar you see in my way hi Steve hi Cheryl so we're gonna discuss today something that I've become really fascinated with ancestry and in particular what has been happening as many of us have started to do this DNA genetic testing and getting, information about where we came from, what our lineage is. And, you know, I was born curious about this, about people and relationships and movement. Where was the chain broken and unbroken? Mm -hmm. And maybe part of it, you know, is because my chain is broken. Yeah, I don't have a relationship with my father. Mm -hmm. And so I've sought it myself. And, you know, it's interesting because Brian has a very a different family, but also very similar in this way. There's a lot of broken links in the chain. Right. To the extent uh, that even one of the, the first things that I learned about Brian when I met him is that he you know, grew up thinking that this man, Maury, was his maternal grandfather. Mm-hmm. And he was very close to him and has many stories about hanging out with his grandpa in Portland. And when Brian turned 18... His grandfather said, there's something that I have to tell you, and I haven't told you yet because your mother asked me not to, but mm-hmm. now that you're an adult, I feel like you have a right to know. I am not your biological grandfather. I'll always be your grandfather, but I am not your biological grandfather. And and Brian said, wow, <laughs> who is? right?" And Maury said, ask your mom. So Brian asked his mother, and his mother said, I do not know who my father is. I do not know his name. And Brian said, well, what? ask your mom. Ask, you know, grandma. Right, like, right. she knows. And Brian's mom is the only time in her life that she said to him, if you ask your grandmother who your grandfather is, I will never speak to you again. Wow. You will be dead to me. Wow. And she said, if I can keep this secret, if I can be silent about this my whole life, right. I expect you to be too. Yeah. And of course, you know, this just intrigued me to no end and it drove me insane that brian he never you know crossed that line Mm -hmm. so of course i did of course of course of course and in my research on ancestry.com one thing led to another and i found document after document he you know his grandmother had been a single woman pregnant at 19 in 1930 and um, she gave birth at a home for wayward girls is what they basically were called. Right. And she never wrote the name of the father on that document. But I found the father. And eventually through 23 Me, through that DNA testing, mm-hmm. uh, that father's family found Brian. Wow. And it was fascinating. It was about a year ago. Suddenly Brian um, gets this message in his 23andMe account. And it's from this totally unsuspecting woman who says, you know, we're somehow second cousins and I think it's through this way and this way and this way. And I immediately chimed in and I said, I know exactly how you're related to yes. my husband. And this woman was, uh, you know, her 70s or 80s. And I said, your uncle got this woman pregnant who is my husband's grandmother. Right. Out of wedlock in yeah. 1930. They met, you know, in this town in in Montana. And I, I told the whole story. And it took her a few days to get back to me. In fact, her daughter emailed back instead because her mother was reeling Yeah, because I was sharing information that they never knew. Yeah. It was a family secret that was sealed tight.
1: Yeah. And I think your insight about, well, my family was broken. There's some parts that are missing. There's something that's being kept from me. We know about your personality that, that, that a lot of what drives you as a writer and person is a kind of insatiable curiosity. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. That's right. But there are other people like, for instance, your mother-in-law who say, I don't want to look back. I don't want to find out what the real story is. I want to let sleeping dogs lie. And, you know, my mother-in-law had the same experience of she was adopted. And she, like, I think a growing number of people in our attempts to understand who we are and where we come from, we now have this new amazing resource. And she discovered quite beautifully late in her life that she had two half-siblings and has started to construct the story of her mother and her father, who she'd never met. And she has a story. She has an origin story. But there is the other side, the dark side of it, which is when sudden revelations of family secrets, thanks to the new DNA tree, actually come into a family system, unwanted, unbidden, and, and wreak havoc.
0: Will you read the first letter, Steve?
1: I shall. Dear Sugars, I gave my husband the gift of an identity crisis and familial discord. Two months ago, I bought my husband a very well-known mail-order DNA genetic testing kit. We received the results last week. We reviewed my husband's ethnic background and ended up on the page that lists all other relatives that have taken the same test. We were not expecting what we found. The individuals listed as my husband's father and half-sister are completely unknown to my husband. My husband never suspected that the father he grew up with was not his biological father. He never suspected that his mother had an affair. He feels hurt, angry and betrayed and doesn't know how to proceed or process this information. He cycles from intense sadness to anger to denial. He spent hours researching his genetic results, comparing them to the genetic information available about the man listed as his father, and researching the accuracy and reliability of the genetic testing company we used. He's so angry with his mother for lying to him all these years, he's deeply saddened that his mother had an affair and that he's not biologically related to his father, and also that he was totally in the dark all these years. I've encouraged my husband to talk to his mother about his results and the man listed as his father and to try to be empathic towards her since this is a very difficult conversation to have with the son. My husband wants to talk to her, but he's afraid she will become defensive and lie. It would not be surprising if his mother did lie to him, especially because she's Middle Eastern and extramarital affairs are not discussed. Also, he has no idea if his father knows about his mother's affair or that they're not biologically related. I think my husband may be afraid that his father will see or treat him differently if he finds out that they're not biologically related. I can't imagine such a reaction from his father as he is a kind and loving man. My husband has a brother and he can do a sibling DNA test to determine if they are full or half-siblings, He's thinking of doing this to show his mother in case she lies to him when he asks her about the individual listed as his biological father. However, he doesn't want to have to explain to his brother that their mother cheated on their father and had a child with another man. Sugars, what's my husband to do? How do I help him heal from this traumatic event? How can he move forward with this information? How does he keep his familial relationships intact? Does he reach out to his biological father and half-sister? I see him struggling, and it's breaking my heart. And Sugars, how do I help myself? I feel such guilt for purchasing this gift for my husband. I didn't know when we clicked through my husband's results that I would open Pandora's box. I blame myself for my husband's pain. If any problems result from my husband's conversation with his mother, how do I not blame myself for their strife and the turmoil that may result in his family? I even feel guilt and shame for focusing on my self-blame and feelings while my husband is in crisis. Any advice you can give me and my husband is desperately needed and greatly appreciated. Signed, Struggling Wife of the Milkman's Baby.
0: Wow, Wow. This is exactly the cautionary tale about these DNA testing kids. And I think that anyone who who takes that test has to understand that there are are things we believe about our lives that may turn out not to be true. yeah, I want to say a couple of things. First is right now, you and your husband are in the shock stage. yes, this is absolutely new information. It never occurred to your husband that his father was not his biological father, it sounds to me. And so, of course, you know, he's responding uh, like almost anyone would. He's panicked and he's researching and he's trying to figure out what to do. I want to say I think that once this information settles, his emotions about it will settle too. And my advice, I'm really an advocate of the truth. And that doesn't mean you go broadcast it to everyone in the family all at once. I really, really think that your husband, and maybe you too, if if your husband feels like it would be helpful to him that you were also present, you find a way to get alone with his mother and have a frank conversation. And I think that it's really good advice to be gentle with her. This is going to be a painful and probably deeply embarrassing uh, conversation with her, I will say that probably the reason she was silent about it all these years is that she was ashamed. And this has nothing to do with your husband. His mother wasn't trying to hurt him by withholding this information. If anything, she was trying to protect the genuine bond, the unbreakable bond, he has with a father who loved and raised him. And so I would really try to be as gentle and compassionate while at the same time saying to her, if she attempts to deny its truth, We have this evidence, and we'd like to know what happened. And maybe it ends with her. I I told that story about I wanted to find out who my husband's grandfather was. My husband wanted to find out. His mother did not. And so, you know, when we learned that stuff, she's dead now, but, but she was still alive when I found out the name of her father. And I asked her if she wanted to know about him, and she didn't. And I think that that's something really important to remember here, is your husband knows something. He needs to talk to his mother. And then based on that information, you decide, does he tell his father? And I'm going to say his father. It doesn't matter if he's biological or not. Does he tell his brother? Does he reach out to his biological father or his biological half-sister? These are all questions that can be answered later after you do that initial I think, necessary information gathering by way of a conversation, a candid, frank, loving, honest conversation with your mother-in-law.
1: Yeah, struggling. What Cheryl's saying about how this has just landed, you know, this is a depth charge, and and you're right in the blast zone right now, and, and your husband's reeling. And He's absorbing the news that he is not exactly who he thought he was, that he has a father who he's never met and a father who has his own history and his own genetic makeup and his own uh, medical predilections. You know, a whole person who was, who he has half his genetic material and, and maybe even some of his personality and character and mannerisms and whatever else we use to construct our identity. So that's a big deal. In addition to that, he's having to reckon with his mother's identity, that she had an affair, she went outside the marriage and got pregnant by that, if that is in fact the circumstances, because honestly, you don't know. Maybe your adoptive father, the person you think of as your father, is aware of this. You have no idea.
0: Also, maybe, I mean, we don't like to think these things, but maybe she was sexually assaulted. We really do do not know the story. The only thing we know is she became pregnant by somebody who was not your father. And
1: and in a sense, Cheryl, it's like you tracking down the genetic tree, you know, but it's up to the people to fill the eyewitness testimony of what were the circumstances? How did this happen? I think your statement, you know, I can't imagine his father reacting in a bad way, his adoptive father. The truth is, Nobody knows how mom's going to react. Nobody knows how his adoptive father, his father is going to react. We just don't know that. And the other thing you have to recognize is you didn't know this. Uh Nobody knew it other than we presume mom. But I think the central thing to realize in relation to yourself is you are in a support role. You're not the engineer of this disaster because you bought this gift, nor are you the person whose feelings are really at issue. You're in a support role here. And that is to try to really remind your husband that what he's suffering is real and it's complex and he's going to need a while to process it within himself. And then he is going to have to figure out a way to try to get to the bottom of it. It's not a story that he thought he would have to figure out, but it's now one that I think to bring him peace, he's going to have to.
0: Yeah, I don't think this is a case where you're going to be able to turn away. You know, there might be... A positive outcome in this seemingly negative news. And that is your husband will have the opportunity to understand his mother better, maybe his whole family system better, and maybe ultimately himself after he has that candid conversation with his mom.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is more a situation where your husband's identity has been to some extent shattered. But the ultimate goal, and it's not something that's going to happen overnight or next week or even next month, is to say, okay can I find a truer version of who I am? And even if the story of how I came into this world is complex and shot through with silence and betrayal, I now want a full accounting. And that can be, even though it's painful and disruptive, it can be healing.
0: Healing, and also I think illuminating. Your husband, struggling wife, when it comes to his relationship with his father, again, the, the man who's now been revealed to be his non-biological father, the healing that might take place around that relationship has everything to do with exploring what is the meaning of heritage? What is the meaning of connection? Why does biology matter? And when does it matter? And I'll tell you this, as somebody who is estranged and has been long estranged from my biological father, I'm curious and interested in my paternal biological lineage, but I don't conflate that with the actual love I've received from the, the one father I did have, my stepfather. When I think of that word father, I think of a connection, a relationship. Right. And your husband, struggling wife, has that with his dad. That will not be taken away from him, no matter what that test reveals. He knows what his history is. He knows who was there for him from the moment he was born. Right. Th- there doesn't have to be a break in that chain based on this information that's really about science more than it is About life.
1: That's right. I mean, you sign him, uh, you know, struggling wife of the milkman's baby. Well, maybe he was the milkman's baby, but he was his father's son, and that is insoluble. I think our guest will speak to this. His name is Steve Lichtai. He's the head of podcasts at Slate Magazine, and previously he was the executive producer of NPR's Weekend all things considered he also directed the documentary film open secret which tells the story of how steve's family and community kept his true identity from him for 18 years i watched it recently and it absolutely blew me away i think he's going to speak struggling to what you're going through and in particular what your husband is going through in a really profound way so we'll talk to steve when we come back from a break
0: Hello. Hi, Steve. This is Cheryl Strade.
2: Hey, how are you?
0: I'm great. I have Steve Almond uh, here, my co host, with me as well.
2: Hi, Steve. Hi, Steve.
0: Lots of Steve's here. Lots of (laughs) you surrounded. (laughs) Hey, we're so pleased that you're willing to join us for our conversation about the many complexities involved in figuring out the true story of your lineage and your DNA. Um, We just recently watched your amazing documentary.
2: Oh, wow. Thank you for watching. Oh, Um, God. I just want to say
1: there'll be a link to Open Secret that will be on our website, and we were just blown away. And I wish you would just share with listeners just the story.
2: um, Let's see. How do I begin this? I was raised to believe that I was adopted by strangers. It was into a large Catholic family of eight other children. And when I turned 18 my two best friends came to me and said, the parents that have raised you are actually not your adoptive parents. They are your grandparents. And the woman that you believe to be your oldest sister through adoption is actually your mother. And everybody that you grew up with has known this for their entire lives. Wow. And that all happened, uh, yeah, right around my high school graduation. That's like a little gift they presented you. Here's your existential <laughs> yeah. crisis. If I remember correctly, which it's it's been a while, but I remember not believing the story, that it seemed so, at the time, crazy to me to be possible. And it's funny, I I didn't think the joke was being played. I just didn't think it was possible, like that that he was misinformed. And obviously I ended up... <laughs> believing it. And it set with me, you know, like a stone in my stomach for, for a while until I confronted my mom and dad with it uh, a few months later. And then i spent, you know, another 10 years not talking about it basically at all. So I was never mad at my friends or any of the people I grew up with. I never thought it was, I think they, they did it out of total protection right? of me.
1: Yeah. I mean, one thing to mention also is that you grew up in Kansas and on a farm and, and in the A relatively small community, right? So this is open secret really means that a lot of the town, teachers, neighbors, other kids knew what you did not.
2: That's right. I I grew up in a small farm community. So the school that I went to was about 300 kids, kindergarten through 12th grade. Everybody knew everybody. And I went to school with, you know, these classmates all the way from kindergarten all the way till graduation from high school. So everybody really knew everything.
0: That's the piece of it that's fascinating to me. How is it that your whole community knew and you didn't? Uh,
2: Well, partly because it was a few things. One is, you know, Joni, my biological mother slash sister, was away for a period of time. They sort of banished her off to college, actually, to have me. And then she came home. This is such a—it's so hard to explain. It's not in the film because it's just too complicated. But my family was very Catholic so I was born in May. They insisted that Joni come home to attend Easter services, which would have been in March. Yeah. So she was seven months pregnant. <laughs> and apparently the story goes that she was like covered up with a big coat in church. But, you know, it's pretty obvious that she's something's going on. And then two <laughs> months later, my parents show up to the same church with a little baby saying, look who he adopted. Right. Also people talk, people saw Joni at the college because the college wasn't that far away. And said, I saw Joni Liktai on campus. She looks pregnant. It comes back. And then, you know, then I'm all of a sudden on the scene in this huge family. Why would this family of eight children adopt another child? Right. Right. It makes no sense.
0: None of this makes sense. But so did you have any suspicions or was it a total shock to you at 18?
2: I really didn't have any suspicions. Uh, you know, I, it's hard because if I look back in hindsight, I can say, oh, right, I kind of thought this and I thought that. But to be really honest, either I was I, – I had no clue – I hate to say this about myself. I mean, maybe I was just a dummy and I just never picked up on any of the obvious clues and hints that were around me that I didn't look completely unlike my family. I did have a resemblance. Right. And, you know, that there was this huge gap in ages – from the oldest to me and my n- the next closest sibling was nine years difference, which isn't crazy, but it's still kind of a gap. And I just never picked up on any of that stuff. And so no, the long-winded answer is I had no idea. I really didn't. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Now, and I want to unpack this a bit because there are so many different dimensions of the, the nature of the secret that I think are fascinating. The first is actually people familiar with these kinds of adoptions or 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 you know lies that took place. In, you know, the 50s and 60s and 70s, it's not so uncommon that the grandparents would pretend to be the parents of a child who was actually, that their daughter bore. You know, there there was so much shame around, quote unquote, what we used to call unwed mothers. And I know this because even my own mom in 1963, uh, she had just graduated high school and she became pregnant, was not married. You know, she was Catholic. She told her parents, I'm pregnant and their plan, what they wanted her to do, was to go away to a home for wayward girls, give birth, right, come home, and her mother would pretend, meanwhile, that she was pregnant. Right. And, you know, my mother would then hand over the baby, and, and her mother would pretend to have been the mother, and my mother would pretend to be the older sister. My mother did not accept this offer. She married my dad instead. And, you know, onward we went. But Steve, am I right that this... I'm I'm going to imagine you've heard other stories where this was the sort of setup, right?
2: I, I have. I've heard all different secret scenarios of how people decided to go about making it happen. And the, the thing I've learned the most is everybody's family believes they've pulled a fast one. Right. right. And they never do. Everybody always knows.
1: And I mean I think actually one of the things that the film captures so so powerfully is is not just what everybody's motives were in in keeping this secret but also uh, how disruptive it was and unsettling when the secret was suddenly revealed. We just talked about uh, the letter from uh, the woman who calls herself struggling wife of the milkman's baby and I thought about you there in your twenties, having suddenly had this existential bomb set off in your heart and really struggling because of this revelation that really would have come out of nowhere. Cause asking Steve, you know, why didn't you suspect anything is a little like asking a fish, you know, how's the water?
2: Yeah, it's, it's real. It's a real feeling that you go through and it's different feelings over a different, over that long period of time. And you know, everybody reacts differently to these sorts of things. And right. my response to it was to basically shut down for a long period of time and to not talk about it. I mean, my family, we didn't really discuss it for many years after the the secret sort of was revealed. Uh, and that probably in the end was more damaging than than anything. I mean, right. I just didn't yeah. have the wherewithal to tackle it. Right. right.
0: So, So Steve, we have... A letter uh, that I think you're gonna you're gonna understand where our letter writer's coming from. Can I read it to you, please? Dear Sugars, a few days ago, my parents revealed to me that my dad is probably not my biological father. When my parents were struggling to conceive, they selected a sperm donor who resembled my dad, and within two months of treatment, I was conceived. At the time, the doctors told my parents that they would not have any more children, and they should never tell me that I was conceived via sperm donation but my parents did conceive naturally, just two and four years after I was born. I have two younger sisters, both biological products of my mom and dad. I'm 32. While I'm close to my family, I've always felt like the black sheep, like my parents and sisters don't entirely understand the way I think and process emotion. My dad has called me outspoken to a fault, and my sister describes me as special— Now I'm finding out there could be a biological reason that I'm different from everyone else in my family, a difference I have struggled with my entire life. I'm heartbroken. I feel betrayed and defeated by my parents, and I don't know how I can trust them again. When I look at them now, I see how deeply fragile they are, and that their selfishness and denial allowed them to keep this part of my story a secret for so long. I've expressed these feelings to them, and their only response is to say, that if my sisters hadn't recently decided to purchase DNA tests as Christmas gifts, we wouldn't be having this discussion. I feel like I'm living in a bad dream, but I can't wake up. Sugars, how do I forgive my parents for not only withholding this information, but for not understanding how wrong they were to keep this information from me? What should I do with that damn DNA test? My dad still thinks there's a 50-50 chance that I'm actually his biological daughter. There's a chance I was conceived by them. If I do the test, I'm scared of what I'll find, that I'm the product of a sperm donor, which I feel intuitively is true, that it will break my father and disrupt my family. How do I move forward with this revelation? Who am I now? I look at myself like I'm a science experiment, like there's been a stranger living inside of me for 32 years. Who is the left-handed person that shares my small ears, my fine hair, my long torso, my creative mind, and my misunderstood heart? Signed, Existential and alone. Wow. So, Steve, as I heard you telling your story, I, I kept thinking about existential and alone and, and particularly this sense of anger and betrayal and heartbreak that existential feels that her parents withheld this information. Can you talk about how your emotions have changed in response to this secret that was kept from you?
2: Yeah. It's, it's anger. And actually, oddly, maybe it's not odd. I just sometimes I think it sounds odd to say, but it's also embarrassment. Yeah. You feel duped and like you were the part of a joke that you weren't in on. Right. That's the initial feeling. At least that's what I had. And I was young, you know, this was 18. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 49 now, but those initial feelings still feel very recent to me. And she should allow herself to go through all those feelings she should be angry. She should be embarrassed. She should feel existentially uh, adrift, all completely normal. And every now and then, to be honest with you, even after all this time, once in a while, it still sneaks back in and and sits there.
1: What's remarkable about the film is that you actually go on this journey where you do have these very difficult conversations with both your grandparents, the you know mother and father who you knew as your mother and father, and your biological mother, your oldest sister, and other members of the family, and your friends and your half so sister—you have all these conversations. Many of them are very difficult. They're awkward. They're halting. They're clearly the, the subjects of your interviews are embarrassed. And yet your friend, Vance, uh, who told you this when you ask him, hey, why'd you tell me? Everybody's keeping this secret so faithfully for 18 years, at least among themselves. Why'd you tell me? And he says, not matter-of-factly, but almost as if it's it's intuitive. He says, well, you have a right to know where you come from.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think existential and alone, that's why you're mad, because you feel very much that you have that right to know where you came from biologically. And I think that that's a justified anger. And I also think that it's something that will be mediated over time as you process this with your parents and come to know more deeply why they chose to do what they did. Because I think one thing that all of these stories have in common, whether it be the scenario we've seen in the first letter we discussed or uh, the scenario that Steve described, all of these actually, even though they might have really negative consequences, they began with good intentions. Right, and they were intentions that were in response to the culture as well. a culture telling them it's shameful for uh, a young woman who's not married to get pregnant and give birth and have the and keep the baby. That's a shameful thing. There was great social pressure, Steve, for your mother to you know, hand you over to her parents, right? You were illegitimate in the eyes of the church and the law and in many people's opinions. And and likewise, existential alone, we see this in your letter. Your parents were told by their doctor, don't ever tell your child that she or he w- was conceived via sperm donation. Okay, that's the medical advice they got. And so I hope, you know, once you move through this justified anger and a sense of betrayal that, you know, that that you have some compassion for your parents too, because they were not trying to hurt you. They were trying to do the best thing for you. And I think that that's as true as that justified outrage.
2: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I have an incredibly deep, I feel I do, understanding of where my biological slash sister and grandmother, mother uh, came from in all of this and how they felt cornered and how they felt that they didn't have a lot of choices. Yep, And I'm processing that in the movie. So there's times where I'm, I am cornering them and I am badgering them in the film because I'm trying to get answers. Right. I still am processing that. I still, my, my mother and father who raised me are, have passed away, but I, my mother's still alive and we talk and we write letters and email each other. And I understand now how hard that was for Joni in a way that I didn't even understand then, even though I started to uh, as the film was ending. And Joni and I have a good relationship. It is not a Hallmark card lifetime movie relationship. It is a good one, though. And I personally think that that's pretty great, considering, you know, it could have easily been an estrangement. And it isn't. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I'm, I'm really fascinated existential. And in this notion that you are not actually writing to us and saying that you learned that you are not the biological child of your father. You're saying there's a 50-50 chance that I'm not. Because your parents, as you know, they used a sperm donor. They also conceived with each other down the road. And so there's a chance that they conceived you that way as well. And I'm going to guess, I'd be really uh, curious, I think you should ask your parents, once these DNA tests became available, why th- didn't they want confirmation about your uh, biological lineage? And I think the answer is probably going to be that even though your dad is only 50% sure that you are his biologically, he's 100% sure that he's your father. Right. And, you know, it, to me, I think that this is something that might serve as a very uh, useful touch point as you go on this journey, is that, you know, you you know, you know, no matter what is true this is the family who raised you. This is the family you love. This is the family you feel a little bit different from. And I'll just, you know, being on the other end of thousands of letters, I'm here to tell you that is no uh, sign of not sharing biology or DNA. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people feel different from their family members and and to whom they are biologically related. I'm not saying that to say, oh, that feeling you have shouldn't be listened to. But I mean to say that there are enough people who feel as you do even with, with biological relations. In
1: a sense, the truth is going to be difficult in, a, in oddly either way. Because after all, if it turns out that your father, the person, man, you think of as your father is your biological father, then you'll be left with this feeling, well, then why do I feel different yeah. from my kin? And I think ethically, part of what I think about here with this DNA stuff is that there's a medical, a kind of ethical and medical responsibility if one of your parents is somebody who's not known to you, especially if you're thinking about having children yourself. There's a lot that we now know about the genetic disorders and predilections for this, that, or the other, uh, physical or or mental ailment, that almost create a kind of ethical obligation to not be secretive.
2: Uh, It's totally true. So I found out that my father was Jewish and, you know, I was raised a Catholic. I was an altar boy for Christ's sake. And, (laughs) you know, I assumed that I was just a a Catholic farm boy from Kansas. And then I find out that my father was a Jewish Holocaust survivor. And that opened up some genetic issues for me. And so when I had children, I married a a Jewish woman and I was tested for Tay-Sachs disease, which is a Jewish genetic disorder. You know, make sure I wasn't passing it on to my children. I never would have known that had I not known, found out what I found out. Mm-hmm. Right. And if I may say, she should get that DNA test. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think so know, too. Figure this out and, and then decide how you want to approach it. But the only way it's ever going to get better is by having conversations. And I really think that she owes it to herself. And it may seem crazy to say, but ultimately owes it to her family to keep pushing, to keep asking the questions. I guarantee that they in the deepest recesses of their hearts and minds, they knew that this day was coming. Yeah. And they, on the other side of it, after asking the hard questions, will ultimately come to thank her. I've had siblings who saw the film and who are in the film say that to me. And Joni may disagree on some level, but yes, they had to answer hard questions, but also it gave them space to talk about what they went through. And I think that's the same thing for existential that, yes, it starts out confrontational, but it will eventually lead to something that is more about conversation and working through things. And your mom and dad would get to tell their story to you. And if you can just listen to that story and let them tell you why they made the decisions they made, you will feel so much closer to them. That's the thing, too, is I felt after doing the film, I felt so much more a part of the family. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it's striking to me, this description, I keep circling back to the way she describes herself as having always felt like the black sheep. And it, it could be that what you're describing as the black sheep is, is the secret, yep. which as we've discussed many, many, many times on the show, the absence is always a presence. And in this case, the absence of truth the, the absence of the true story of your coming into this world. I wouldn't be surprised, too, if it even impacts your siblings, you know, that, that everyone in some maybe unconscious or unexpressed way has shaped themselves around the silence of this secret. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We really enjoyed um, hearing about your story and um, getting some really, I think, wise words for existential and alone in her situation.
2: Thank you for uh, having me on and thanks for asking such great questions. It's always good to talk about these things and I hope both letter writers find the piece that they're looking for. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Steve, I don't know... If you've noticed, but, you know, we're calling this episode, Who's Your Daddy? Yeah. Sometimes it's Who's Your Mommy? But a lot of times it really is about paternity because mm-hmm. that's that's usually the one that's a little bit more... Iffy. iffy a little more valuable. <laughs> and right. here it is, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day.
1: Oh, thank you. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And happy Father's Day to all fathers.
0: And as many of our listeners know, celebrating that father sometimes is beautiful and fun and light And other times it's dark and it's heavy. I have both experiences. Mm -hmm. And that really, in the end, when we think about lineage, we really are thinking about connection, the people who have nurtured us and made us. And, you know, some of that creation is about biology. And a lot of that creation is about something that matters so much more. And that is love. Yeah. So we're going to take a break.
1: Yeah, and you're not even just talking about, like, we're going to take a little break.
0: No, we're going to take a real break. We're going to have three weeks, but we'll be back July 14th with a whole season of really great episodes.
1: Yeah, we are super psyched for that. And, uh, you know, absence makes the heart grow fungus. Isn't what that that I what they say? I think that's the way it goes. I think that's the way it goes. So there it is. You only have to wait three weeks, and then Cheryl Strait will be back to her regularly scheduled verbal abuse of me.
0: That's right. Sugars is produced by the New York Times in partnership with WBOR. Our producer is Alexandra Lee Young. Our editor and managing producer is Larissa Anderson. Our executive producer is Lisa Tobin and our editorial director is Samantha Henning. We recorded this show at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon with our engineer Josh Millman. Our mix engineer is Brad Fisher. Our theme music is by Wonderly with vocals by Liz Weiss. Special thanks to Theo Belcom please find us at nytimes.com dearsugars. You can send us your letters at dearsugars at nytimes.com. That's dearsugars, plural, at nytimes.com. Or leave us a voicemail on our hotline at 929-399-8477. And please check out our call on The Sweet Spot at nytimes.com slash spot